the Lord for it, and uh, looking forward to what God has for us today. With His help, I want to preach to you this morning under this title, Knowing Where You're Going. And I want to deal with the biblical doctrine this morning. Notice I didn't say the Baptist doctrine, I said the biblical doctrine of eternal security and the assurance of salvation. I know that Brother Paul Corlew, our youth pastor, addressed this issue with our young people on Wednesday night. I believe he had at least one saved up there Wednesday night. And, uh, but I know this, it's not going to hurt our young people to get two doses of doctrine in the same week. And uh, so I hope that you'll bear with me. Wednesday night, Brother Tyler knew what I was preaching on, and he made this statement to the choir, and I already had it in my notes because I believe it with all of my heart, that there are more people that wrestle with the assurance of salvation than are willing to admit it. I believe that with all of my heart. I'm preaching to three groups of people here this morning. First of all, I'm preaching to those who are secure, but they're not sure. These are people who have been saved, but for whatever reason, and we'll talk about some of those reasons here in just a few minutes, but for whatever reason, as Brother Tyler did for so many years in his life, and I I remember even, even on into Bible college, I remember the conversations that we would have on the phone, and he wouldn't be ashamed of me saying this, the the, the times that he was crying to me on the phone, wrestling with this issue, Dad, I just don't know if I'm saved. And I want you to understand this morning, I don't want you to be ashamed of that. And there are some, again, we'll talk about some reasons why, but for whatever reason, these people are lacking the assurance of their salvation and I hope the Lord will help with that today and then there's another group of people these are the folks who are sure but not secure now listen I'm not I'm not pretending to know who these groups of people are I just know that they're existing here today and these are folks who are convinced they're saved but they're really not And more than likely, they're trusting in something other than their faith in Christ to save them. And then there's a third group here today, and they're the ones that probably were able to sing all of those songs with such joy and and such enthusiasm and such confidence because they're sure and they're secure. And what a joy it is to live with the sure knowledge That if your life were to end today, that there's no doubt in your mind, but that you would go to heaven. And that security is not based on anything that you've done, but it's based solely and completely on what God has done. Listen, the the assurance of salvation is based on the witness of of the Word of God. Now, I I was so stoked to get into the message, I forgot to read the text. So let's go back and do that real quick. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. 
He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things, verse 13, have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may, what church? Know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. The issue of eternal security and the assurance of salvation is a fundamental truth in the Word of God. And here's why I I think it's so important that we approach this doctrine and address the, the, the biblical doctrine of eternal security again because it will significantly impact your perception of God, your perception of yourself, and your perception of others. Listen, I want you to understand this morning that that there are a number of things that are at stake when it comes to the doctrine of eternal security. For example, as we've mentioned already, our assurance is at stake. If our salvation hinges on anything but the finished work of Christ on the cross, we're in trouble. If you or I have any part in maintaining our salvation or or keeping ourselves saved, then it's going to be difficult to live with much assurance. Yet John clearly and unmistakably stated in our text that we can know we have eternal life. So assurance is at stake. Here's something else that is at stake spiritual growth as long as a a christian is struggling from one day to the next with the issue of whether or not they're saved they will never experience any significant growth a few years ago my wife and i and brother tyler and his family went to california to watch kelby play baseball and we took some time to visit the Golden Gate Bridge. And at one point, we were walking through the gift shop, and, and as there are in, in any number of gift shops, there were uh, little placards, little, little factoids, if you will, uh, related to the bridge itself. And so I found those interesting, and I would go from one to the other and, and read it. And one that I found particularly interesting was the one that talked about the initial uh, phase of construction. And they, they went on to, to tell their, how that there weren't any, any kind of safety devices uh, that were used at, at all. No ropes, no harnesses, no nets. And 23 men fell to their deaths. But for the final part of the project... They, they 
constructed and installed this, this large safety net. Ten men, during the final stage of the building of the Golden Gate Bridge, fell. And every one of them were saved by that net. But here's what I found most interesting. Is the fact that 25% more work was accomplished after the net was installed. Why? Because the men had the assurance of their safety. And they were free to wholeheartedly serve the project. They didn't have to worry about whether or not they were going to die if they fell. They knew that they were safe. They knew that they were secure. Even if they made a mistake and fell, they knew that the net was going to catch them. And so they were able to work uh, unhindered and give their total time and attention to the project. And here's what I'm saying this morning, that for a believer who doesn't know from one day to the next, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I going to heaven? Am I, am I going to hell? Does God love me? Does God not love me? Am I okay? Am I, am I not okay? As long as they're having to, to try to, to filter all of that out, I'm telling you, there will never be any significant spiritual growth. Here's another stake at issue. It has to do with forgiveness. When Christ died, which sins did he die for? Which which sins were you forgiven of when you trusted Christ? If the sins you commit after becoming a Christian can annul your relationship with Christ, then clearly those sins were not covered at Calvary. And when Jesus said it is finished, it wasn't really finished. He wasn't telling the truth. Salvation by faith alone, which is a Bible doctrine, is also at stake if the Bible does not teach that believers are eternally secure in Christ. You see, because once good works is introduced into salvation, it ceases to be by faith alone, and it becomes by faith and works to imply that salvation is maintained by good works or by by living a sinful life that is to take the daily burden of salvation upon ourselves it is to trust in our own power to keep us saved which is diametrically opposed to the teaching of god's word which we'll see later in the message God's unconditional love is yet another Bible truth at stake if we can somehow lose our salvation. Because if there is, is a condition, I mean even one, if there is any condition attached to God's willingness to maintain a relationship with his children, then it is not unconditional love. Something else that is adversely affected by the denial of eternal security is evangelism. How many of you think a salesman's going to be effective at selling his product if he really doesn't believe in it? A Christian 
who doesn't know whether or not they're really saved and, and not really confident that, that the Bible is true or that, that God meant what he said when he said that I'll give them eternal life, if they're not really convinced of that, then they're, they're, they're going to be hard-pressed to try to convince somebody else of that. So evangelism is at stake. And then, finally, the issue of focus is at stake. As long as you or I have an ongoing role in our salvation, then our tendency will be to focus on ourselves and the way we live more than focusing on Christ. Now, don't take that and run with it, because I'm not saying this morning that there should not be any self-examination in a Christian's life because it does according to this book it does make a difference how we live absolutely it does but the difference that it makes is not a difference in our relationship it makes a difference in our fellowship with Christ when my wife and I have a spat when I have offended her, when I have sinned against her, it doesn't affect our relationship. We're still married. But how many of you husbands know when that happens, it does affect our fellowship? <laughs> that was your chance, ladies. I'm not going back. It does absolutely affect our fellowship, but not our relationship and when we're not living like we should for the Lord it's going to affect our fellowship but it's not going to affect our relationship the truth is the more focused we are on self and not Christ then the more prone we are to sin that's just a fact now with all of that being said let's turn our attention this morning to the problem with assurance, I told you that there were a, a number of reasons why some people struggle with the assurance of salvation. Let me give you some of those this morning. Number one, some people are just chronic doubters. Honestly, they're just chronic doubters. If you told them the sun comes up in the morning, they're not going to believe it until they see it for themselves. And these people are just so used to doubting that they're willing to doubt the validity of God's word before they would be willing to doubt their doubts. Here's another reason. Unconfessed sin. I am of the opinion that this is probably the leading cause for a lack of assurance in salvation. Because here's the bottom line, church, when we're not living for the Lord and, and there's unconfessed sin in our life and unforsaken sin in our life, I just explained it, it's going to affect our fellowship with the Lord. And, and, and the Bible talks about part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict us 
And sometimes when the preacher stands and preaches on sin or preaches on living right or preaches on living wrong and, and, and the Holy Spirit does his work and does his ministry and he sends that conviction into our heart because we know and he wants us to, to, to know and understand we're not living like God wants us to live. And sometimes people can mistake conviction of sin for a call to salvation. That's why, partly why I said it matters the way we live. Because it will adversely or can adversely affect what we believe about salvation and our relationship with God. And so I would encourage you that even through the course of, of this message, if God pricks your heart and God sends that spirit of conviction into your heart, then the first thing you need to ask yourself is, is there any unconfessed, unforsaken sin in my life that God's dealing with me about? Here's what God said to the Israelites in Isaiah chapter 59. But your iniquities, your sins, your wrongdoings have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Here's another issue, another reason why sometimes people struggle with assurance, and it's because of the trials of life. They're just absolutely convinced that if they were a child of God, then they wouldn't be going through these things. If God really loved them, and if, if God, if they really belonged to him, then what kind of parent would let their child go through these difficult times? But that's because they don't have an understanding of other parts of the word of God where it talks about the benefit of trials and the benefit of struggles in our life are to make us more like Jesus Christ. Listen, parents, you may agree or disagree, but it's not good that you bail your kids out of every problem. Amen. Sometimes going through those struggles and going through them pro those problems can help them. They can learn through the process. Amen. And sometimes God brings difficult times into our life or allows difficult times into our life because he wants us to learn. He wants us to grow. He wants to stretch our faith. And he wants us to develop more faith and more trust. And then this one. Some folks just aren't sure of the exact date. Listen. I, I, most of you, I grew up over in Tyrone. In my senior year, which was 1978, our baseball team went to state for the first and only time in school history. It's never gone back. We finally beat Levy in regionals and got to state. The only time. Here's what I know. I know that that was 1978. I couldn't tell you what month it was. I couldn't tell you what day it was. I, I can't tell you, but here's what I can remember. I remember that Almost all of the school, all 50 of them, <laughs> were lined up, and the baseball team lined up and walked out of the school, and they were all cheering and clapping, and we crawled onto the, onto the activity bus, and we 
by the grace of God, made our way to the state tournament. I remember being there. I, I remember after we watched teams like Asher and, and other teams take infield. I mean, these guys were sharp. Our coach told us, I'm going to hit you one ball, catch it, and throw it to first. He knew if we did anything other than that, then we, we were going to embarrass ourselves. And so that's what he did. I remember Sid Jones, he was a freshman, come in to pitch hit. He got hit in the head with like a 90-mile-an-hour fastball from, um, I can't remember his name, Mike Moore, who come out here and played for the BJs, won a national championship with the BJs, won a World Series with the Oakland A's. Sid Jones, his claim to fame, I got hit in the head by that guy. I remember that. I remember I went 0 for 3. I tried to bunt three times. I remember I went 0 for 3. Here's my point. I don't, I don't remember all the details. I, I can't tell you the exact day or, or the month. But I never have forgotten that experience. And here's what I'm telling you today. Sometimes we preachers, we can, we can make it sound like if you don't know that it was September 8th, 1976, and you're going to hell. No, no, here's the point. You may not remember any of that, but I will tell you this. If you've ever met Jesus, you know when it was and you know where it was. Whether it was in Sunday school or at, in your parents' bedroom or in a revival service or at a youth camp or wherever it was. There's not going to be as, well, yeah, you know, I think kind of, sort of, there was this. Listen, I'm telling you, there won't be any of that. But you met Jesus, you'll know it. And I told the church this Wednesday night, regardless of what you think about our current president or anyone who preceded him, if you ever had the opportunity to sit in the Oval Office, you may get so old you'll never remember the month or the day or the year, but you'll never forget sitting in the Oval Office. Are you with me? And then there are those who doubt simply because of bad Bible teaching. And I'm sorry. There, there seems to be two extremes to which false teachers take their teaching. The first one is that our salvation is only as good as our present level of experience. In other words, we can only be sure we're saved as long as we're obeying God and walking with Him. And in this view, sin leads to a loss of salvation. So it's quite possible in this teaching for a person to be saved today and lost tomorrow. It's like God is up there and he's written your name on a chalkboard in chalk. And he's got a chalk in one hand and an eraser in the next hand and, and other hand. And on Sunday your name's up there. But on Monday you mess up, whoop, you're gone. And so you get saved again. And so he writes your name again. And then two days later, whoop, you messed up, whoop, you're gone. That's not the God of the Bible. And I'm sorry if you've been taught that, but somebody's cheating you out of the assurance of your salvation. Because that's not salvation. The other, the other in, 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 in that scenario, you never get to have ultimate assurance of your salvation. All you can have at best is momentary assurance. But John didn't say you can know sometimes and not know other times. He said you can know that you have eternal life. 
The other extreme has to do with perseverance and good works. That is, the only way to know that we're saved is to persevere to the end in a life of good works. It's like we get saved by grace, but we keep ourselves saved by our good works. That's not in this book. Neither of those extremes have any foundation in Scripture. Talk about the premise of assurance. The common element in the things that I just talked about that rob Christians of assurance is that they are all man-centered. When we try to anchor our assurance on our feelings or on things that we, that we either do or things that we avoid doing, listen, listen, we're building the wrong foundation. Our assurance is found in Christ. We don't look to Christ for salvation and then another source for the assurance of it. It's just like Brother Tyler said, once I come to the realization that I didn't do anything to be saved, then there's nothing that I can do to lose my salvation or to keep myself saved. Look at, look at verse 10 again. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. The witness that John is speaking of here is not some warm, fuzzy feeling or a sense of security that we have to work up within ourselves by a bunch of self-talk. The witness is clearly the Holy Spirit of God. And let me show you that. Romans eight sixteen. the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So when a person gets saved, this is Bible truth, when a person gets saved, they receive the Holy Spirit. That very moment, there's not like, well, I got saved today, I received the Holy Spirit yesterday. The Bible says that he that hath not the Spirit of God is none of his. You can't be saved here and receive the Spirit here. If you don't get saved to receive the Spirit, then you're not saved. And so when we get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. He takes up residence in our heart. He testifies to the validity of our salvation. So again, it's not like you get saved and then the assurance of salvation comes later. It's part of the total package. Along with the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life comes the assurance that life, has, uh, that life is testified to by the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, what would happen if I stood up here this morning and I started teaching you that, that God saves us just a little bit at a time? I mean, this church has got some godly men in it, some good, strong, uh, 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 knowledgeable, doctrinally sound deacons. It wouldn't be long and they say, Bridget, you need to hit the road. Because we know better than that. God doesn't save us a little bit at a time. That's heresy. Well, don't you think it's just as heretical to believe that, that the God who saves us all at once then parcels out the assurance of that salvation a little bit at a time? Let's talk for a moment about God's testimony as to our salvation. We didn't read verse 9 of 1 John 5. Let's go back and do that real quick, would you? If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his 
son. I mean, let me explain that like this. There are many, many times during the course of a day when we believe what other people say and never question it. We go to the doctor. Doctor says, you, you've got a cold, okay? So he scribbles on a piece of paper something that I'm not even sure the people at the pharmacy can read. I think it's a guessing game. And so you take that illegible signature and you hand it to some. oh yeah. And so they, they pour in these pills into this bottle. And you just, you've taken the doctor at his word. Now you're taking the pharmacist at his word. And then you read the little label that says take, one of, take two of these a day, take with food. And so what do you do? You, you believe that. You believe the witness of men. We do it all the time. Why then do we question God's word? John said that God's testimony is greater than any man's testimony. And it is completely trustworthy. And can we read again God's testimony? Here it is. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not has made him a liar, but he believeth uh, that the Son of the, uh, not the record that, the, that God gave his Son. I'm trying to hurry. Verse 11. And this is the record. Here's God's testimony. That God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Listen, we either believe that or we don't. Look at verse 13 again, the premise of assurance. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Listen, you can know that you have eternal life. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are as certain of heaven today as if you've already been there 10,000 years. Many of the things we do or plan to do are matters of probability or relative certainty. I may go here or there tomorrow, but then again, I may not, depending on whether or not something interferes with my plans. Well, that's all well and good when it comes to the things of the earth. I can deal with that. I can roll with that. But I don't want to say that I'm probably going to heaven. I can't deal with that. I can't live with that, especially when this book says that I can know. And I'm, I'm not okay with, yeah, well, yeah, maybe, well, probably, well, I think so, I hope so. I like taking that pill and say, well, I hope I'm taking the right thing. No, no, when it comes to the, the medicine I'm taking, I want to know that this is what I'm supposed to be taking. I want to deal with probabilities here or relative certainty. No, so do you, you know, you, you could tell from those scribbles that this is what I'm supposed to take. Absolutely, positively. And so I just take him at his word, as I said a moment ago. Why is that such a struggle when it comes to the Word of God? Now, if you're like me, you have a greater degree of certainty in something 
if reliable and credible people whom you trust are also certain about the same thing. Does that make sense? So let me share some words with you from some other reliable and credible people who also believed that it's possible to have the assurance of your salvation. One of the greatest believers in the assurance of salvation was the Apostle Paul, and here's what he said. He said, for I know, I know whom I believe and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul said, I know who I'm believing in, and I'm absolutely confident that he's going to keep me safe. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, also left us a ringing statement of God's ability to keep his own until the end. Here's what he said, Jude 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Well, yeah, Pastor, but those are, those are men. Okay, well, let's look at what Jesus said. John 5, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath right now in the present moment everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. If you've got a red letter Bible, those words are in red. Those are the words of Jesus, but it's passed from death unto life. And then Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they shall follow me and I give unto them. What kind of life, church? Eternal life. What does is, what is, what is eternal mean? Somebody tell me. It means forever. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I don't know how we can be more secure than that. The truth about the assurance of our salvation is intended to impact the way we live our Christian life. Assurance takes away the burden of trying to keep ourselves safe. If you really believe that it's up to you to keep your salvation intact, and that your failure could cause God to open his hand and just let you fall from his grace, then I want you to listen to me this morning. You have assumed an impossible burden. Too often the result of this kind of thinking is service to God that is driven by things like fear and doubt over losing your salvation and an inordinate sense of guilt. Securing your own salvation is a responsibility that you were never meant to bear. On the other hand, when you realize that God is holding you firmly in His grip, and that no power can snatch you from the Father's hand, we just read it, then you are free to serve Him out of gratitude and love. The story is told many years ago about Albert Einstein. 
he was on the train and he was traveling to an appointment. And as he was sitting there, the conductor was making his way down the aisle and he was punching tickets. As he came to Mr. Einstein, he said, ticket please. And Mr. Einstein reached in his vest pocket, and, but his ticket wasn't there. So he reached in the other vest pocket and his ticket wasn't there. And so he started feeling his pockets and he put his hands in his pockets and they weren't there in his, in his back pockets and they weren't there. And I mean, he, he couldn't find his ticket. And finally, the conductor said, it's, it's all right, Mr. Einstein, not a problem. I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm absolutely certain that you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Everything's okay. So he starts making his way down the aisle. He's, he keeps punching tickets. He gets to the end of the, of the car, and he turns around, and there's Mr. Einstein. He's down on his hands and knees, and, and he's, he's looking under the seats, and he's crawling around trying to find this ticket. The conductor makes his way back to where he is. He says, Mr. Einstein, no, really serious. I know who you are. It's okay. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you bought a ticket. I know who you are. And he looked up to the man, and he said, I, too, know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. So here's the question today. Do you know where you're going? You're 100% for sure. You know where you're going. If your life ended today, if they carried you out of this room with no heartbeat, you're gone. Where would you be? Listen, my purpose today was not to create doubt. My purpose was not to stir up doubt that may have already been there. If there's been a, listen, if there's been a time in your life when you acknowledged that you were a sinner and that you couldn't save yourself and understanding that you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ by calling upon his name and asking him to save you, then listen, according to the authority of the word of God, you're saved. For whosoever, Paul said, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've not done that, and it doesn't make any difference what else you have done. Whether you've been baptized, whether you've joined a church, whether you've done your best to be a good person, or any number of other things, none of that matters. Because those things do not save you. And you need to trust Christ today. If you've already called upon the name of the Lord, as I just explained, but you're still doubting, and it could be any number of, of, of things that I talked about earlier in the message. But whatever the case is, I'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you today. So would you bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer today?